Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. If you're visiting with us, uh, you're our honored guest. We thank you for being here. We hope we'll get a chance to meet you and you learn a little bit more about us today. Uh, if you're joining us on uh, social media, we welcome you as well. There is a friendship register on each pew we would ask that that be passed down each uh, pew. We'd like to have a record of everyone's attendance this morning. Leading us in our song service this morning will be Brother Jeremy Jones. Brother J.T. Beard has the opening prayer. Brother Will Ramsey will have the scripture reading for us. Brother Ken Forrest, the lesson. Brother Bo Gross will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And right now, Guy Gardner is scheduled for announcements and closing prayer. Some of you may know that our sister, uh, Rumel Palmer, had a fall yesterday and had to be taken to the Memphis Hospital. Uh, she was suffering from a brain bleed. Uh, Brother Ricky Green told me this morning that that seems to have stopped on its own. But we're going to have a special prayer on her behalf. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your blessings, and we're thankful that we can assemble this morning to worship thee, and we pray that all that we do would be pleasing in your sight. Father, we ask your special care to be with Sister Rumel Palmer. We pray that uh, her uh, problems can be corrected and that she can be restored to good health. We love you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. First song this morning will be Light the Fire. If you would stand with me as we open up our hearts to God. I said to
Would you bow with me, please? Our God and Father in heaven, we come this morning acknowledging you as the creator of all life, the giver and sustainer of everything that's good on this earth. We're so thankful that you love us so much, that you give us everything that we need. We're especially thankful that the greatest need we had was the gift of your son, and you were willingly, you gave him willingly to die on the cross that we could live eternally. For this we are ever thankful. But we come also this morning, Father, to ask favors. We have many of our number that are sick, that are having all types of difficulties in life. We pray, Father, that you would look down on each one of these, regardless of their circumstances. We realize that you know their needs better than we. And we know that you are concerned and care about them. And so we ask that you would look down upon them and uh, see that their needs are met according to your will. We're thankful for the church here at Boonville. We're thankful for the uh, fellowship we have one with another. We're thankful, Father, for our leaders, for the elders of this congregation. We know, Father, that they have to make decisions from time to time that are not easy decisions, and we pray, Father, that we all might recognize their authority and uh, support them in, in every way that we can. We also realize, Father, that we have many here that work so hard, especially our teachers, those that teach Bible classes. We uh, know they spend a lot of time and effort in preparing to teach our younger people and the older people as well. We pray that you would continue to bless them and help them to do the things that are necessary for the congregation to, to continue to grow here. We are thankful, Father, for the different programs that this church is involved in. We are thankful for all the mission efforts that are carried on throughout the world, those that are here at home. And we pray, Father, that the things that uh, the mission works that we're involved in would be those that would uh, cause more people to come to Christ. We also uh, thank you, Father, for the ability to see to the needs of our community. We are thankful for those that participate, for those that uh, work in the food pantry program, closed closet program, for those that participate in other ways by giving funds and bringing clothes so that we can help those of our community that are in need. We pray that you would continue to bless this program also. We ask, Father, now that you uh, Go with us as we enter into our worship service. We pray that you would give Ken a good recollection of the things that he's prepared to say and help us listen in view of eternity that uh, we must uh, stand before you one day and give an account of how we've handled your word. Go with us uh, later on in the day as we depart. We pray your guidance in our lives and help us to uh, live our lives in such a way that others would want to be what we are. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Song of Invitation will be I Need Thee Every Hour, number 837. 837, a song before a lesson will be Living by Faith. 
them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Let no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, I'm missing my clicker today, so someone will... Please do that for me. Good morning, everybody. So great to see you. I hope you had a fantastic week. I know some of you really did because you took advantage of the simplest evangelistic effort maybe in the history of mankind. You went back there and picked up a bag that had some materials in it, including a Bible correspondence course, even had a self-addressed stamped envelope in it, and you shared that with a friend of yours. Didn't that just make you feel great? Didn't it make you feel like you really accomplished something? And I'm hoping that there will be good results that come from that effort. Now, I happen to notice, even though we made 100, I'm going to think that maybe you thought what I was trying to say was one per family. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. I didn't mean that. I meant every one of you take one. Now, I know that there are just a handful left on the table back there, but I'm sure Marilyn, who's put these together with some of her helper friends, will be glad to make some more if we run out. Please take those if you haven't taken one yet. And if we run out, we'll see about getting some more. But thank you for participating, getting, getting so many of those out into distribution. And by the way, you know, Marilyn is not to be hindered by geographic location. She's worldwide now. And so not only did we take advantage of this for us, but she has shared this opportunity with churches all in this county and I take it that there were some folks that actually heard about this over the internet and were inquiring about how they could participate. So see a very simple thing that can have a wide-scale effect. Thank you for participating in that. And oh, since we're talking about bags and how easy they are to use, we have another bag initiative today. This one has to do with what's called the Panama Christian Joy. And it's, it's similar, I guess, to like one of those angel trees. You can go back there. There's a table that's set up. You won't miss it. Walk right by there. Pick up one of those bags. Inside the bag is information about a child that you can help filling up that bag with the items that are recommended in the list. Again, very simple. But this is an outreach opportunity to the nation of Panama you can bless the life of a child. Oh man, the opportunities that abound here are amazing, yes? So please take advantage of that. Go get that bag and fill it up, bring it back and 
Dee has assured us that she will take care of the rest. So we're very thankful for all of these. Now, you know, this all is starting by the idea that little old me, all by myself, I can make a difference. And you, little old you, sitting in that pew right there today can make a difference. You can save a soul. And if we can save a soul, one soul at a time, and then those souls can take that same desire and seek to save a soul, in one generation, we could reach the entire world. We're going to have that commitment, aren't we? If nobody else does, we are going to save a soul. Yes? Lord, help us to accomplish that beautiful task. Well, did I say that wrong? It, it's, our, it's our focus of love, isn't it? It is not a task at all. It is the desire of our hearts to see that other people are saved. And if I could save the circle of influence that I have, the people that I know, the people that most likely will be those names that are on my heart for an eternity, would it be great to know that they had the opportunity to respond to the gospel and that I was the one that did it. What a joy that is. Today we're going to be looking at another one of those families of God from the scripture with the intention that what is described there is beneficial to all of us. And I have taken a positive approach to all of this. I know that Every single church that we have examined up until today, today will be different, but every single church that we have examined up until today has had some serious faults. What we've done is we have identified that false, but we have proclaimed that we are different. Our intention as a church is to be different. Today, I want to encourage us to be exactly like the church that we read about here in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. It has been described as being the faithful church. And so here's how I want us to think of ourselves today, that we are a faithful family of God. We'll see what God thinks about them what the Lord Jesus actually said to them and do our very best to make application to us. And again, God help us to be that faithful family of God. Before we start, let's pray that God will bless us in this endeavor in his word today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege, the blessed opportunity that it is to assemble in this room to study your word together, to have been involved in these acts of worship thus far, but now maybe the most difficult of those endeavors to focus intently upon your word for several minutes together and to be challenged by that word. Lord, help us to meditate upon it as JT said just a moment ago, with a view toward eternity. Father, I pray that we, we're not fooling ourselves. We want to be well aware with our eyes wide open. We 
we want to look at these scriptures, do the examination, and walk away feeling good about what we are as a church here in Boonville. I pray, Lord, that today as we look at your people from so long ago, and for the commendation that you gave them, the positive things you had to say, that those things are true of us today. And perhaps more than any other, just in relation to their size and impact upon their community, I, I really do pray that what potential was seen in them is also seen in us. Help that to be true, Lord. I pray that we have hearts that are humble enough to accept your truth and to live it in our own lives and then corporately as a body here to reflect those great truths. Thank you, Lord, for that direction. Help me, Lord, to communicate that simple, understandable, and digestible way and then be with those who hear it that they can take it, make good use of it, make the application to our lives that we'll be people who have strength in us, that we'll keep your word, and that we will not ever deny your name. Thank you for the privilege, and be with us now as we begin. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to guess that if I said Philadelphia, that's this church, if I said Philadelphia, you, you already know what the word Philadelphia means, what it would represent. If I asked some of you, you'd say, well, yeah, I've, I've heard that. Of course, we have our own Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and so most people refer to it as the city of brotherly love, so that must be it, and, and I think I've heard that in some sermons before, so that might be how I answer, brotherly love. Or you can turn that around a little bit and just say the love of the brethren. Either descriptions, whether going one direction or the other, would be exactly right. It is the kind of love that is experienced between those who are our brothers. Now, it, it actually is God who has set the pace for us. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, it is God who is the one who has taught us how to love. Now, when I say God, I'm not just talking about one or other of those members of the Godhead. I'm talking about how the Scriptures express it in every single one. For instance, the Father is described as having demonstrated love. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we know love because He first loved us. I mean, He's the standard by which we even know how to love at all. Or, of course, Jesus, the very epitome of love. In 1 John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, the love I want you to have is the kind of love I'm giving you, the kind of love I'm demonstrating in my life. True also is the work of the Holy Spirit in that regard. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, 
The whole idea or the concept of the love of God being bestowed upon us is made possible, that text says, through the Holy Spirit. So in my relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in every single instance, however it is that they are functioning in my life, there is the undeniable experience of the love of God. God is the one who has taught us, illustrated for us, exactly what love is all about. So I don't think it's a foreign notion, given so much that Jesus is the head of the church, Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, that Jesus is the one who holds the key or possesses within himself the authority by which doors are opened for the benefit of the church that he loves so much. Now, when I think about the opening of doors, of course the church here in Philadelphia comes to the forefront. Because over and over again throughout the text that Will read for us just a moment ago was the idea that doors were being opened Here was a church for which there was not one negative thing said. Everything about the church in Philadelphia was a commendation. You are doing great. So keep doing that. Keep being that faithful church that you've always been. If you will do that, then I will keep opening up those doors and giving the opportunities that only the Lord can bestow. We talk about all kinds of programs and activities. We talked about two already. Talked about taking those bags and distributing them to someone who might, in effect, then get that Bible correspondence course, fill it out, send it in, and then we begin a conversation with someone to the end, desire of seeing their soul saved. We talk about a program of filling up a package and zipping it up and sending it off to a far place like Panama. There is no end to the programs that you and I can participate in. It's not the weight or the volume or the number of programs that make success, but it is the Lord opening up those doors and then you and I faithfully walking through the door. I mean, there, there could be all kinds of opportunities. But until we take the first step toward fulfilling some of those opportunities, of, of taking hold of what the Lord has given us and actually making something of it by His grace and mercy and love, until we do that, nothing's going to be accomplished. This church in Philadelphia had that mindset. And as a result, the Lord said, you know what? I'm I'm going to give you a, a super prize. I'm going to give you what is, in effect, a monumental pillar in the temple of God. Now, that sounds amazing, and we'll look at that in just a few minutes. But what I'm trying to just lay as a groundwork today, in the beginning at least is the simple fact that if if you and I will just take the Lord seriously about the things that he lays before us, of, of what he puts in our hands to do, if we will do that, 
then he will bless it. And when he blesses it, we will be exactly what this church in Philadelphia was. A faithful family of God. Now, I want to break this down really just into two simple things. And the first is, I want us to understand that that love is something that strengthens faith. Love strengthens faith. So here's how he begins, very similar to all of the other letters that we have read thus far. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Well, Philadelphia was an interesting place. It's named for the Greek word meaning the love of a brother. A brotherly love, the city of brotherly love. Again, we're all in tune with that. We see that that's developed out of God, but you back up from that, even those who lived within that time who were, who were not familiar with what God can do still understood the value of relationship. And this city actually was named in memoriam to the love that had, had, had existed between two very popular leaders in the general framework of that time. It was actually named to the benefit of a man by the name of Attalus II. His brother, Eumenes II, who actually was the king of Lydia, had named this city Philadelphia because he just loved his brother. He loved the relationship that existed. Now, if you'll take yourself to that time and realize that when families were in positions of authority and power, oftentimes that love of the brother did not exist. In fact, there was often a lot of political intrigue as a result of the line of succession in various seats of authority. And oftentimes you would hear that brothers or sisters were enemies of one another, not in this case. This love was so chronicled and so strong that a city was actually named for what existed between them. Philadelphia found itself situated on a Roman trade route. That route began in Rome and extended into the Far East. So you can imagine the kind of travel that that road experienced. And because of that, there were a lot of, a lot of foreigners who found themselves in the city of Philadelphia. Not only that, Philadelphia was known by many people in that time as Little Athens. Now that might not mean anything to you initially, but if you'll remember the Apostle Paul's journey to Athens, you'll remember that when he was there, that he saw before him idols that were attributed to just about every kind of God imaginable. Well, Philadelphia was known as Little Athens because it also had many, many religions represented there. Sometimes when we see that kind of activity, we think, oh, no, that's going to be, that's going to be hard. That's going to be difficult for the church. But actually, I, I don't think Philadelphia, the church there, took it as an affront. But rather, here, right here in this city, is an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to help people who are already predisposed to religion 
to be able to do with them exactly what the Apostle Paul had done. As much as there are all of these gods, I want to talk to you about the God that you don't know. This monument attributed to the unknown God was a spectacular springboard from which the Apostle Paul could proclaim the truths about Jesus the Christ, and about the God who had created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that was in them. So the church in Philadelphia had been planted in a spectacular place, but I will remind you that no matter what, as long as the church, the church of the Bible exists in a place, then not only are all these people a part of the work that that church is going to be doing, but remember now, it is Jesus who is the head of that church. And so Jesus is described in this text in three different ways. He is described as being holy. And by the way, when we think of the holiness of our Lord, maybe you immediately think of 1 Peter 1 verse 16, I sure did, and the call to be holy as I am holy. So there, there is, you know, there is always that effort on our part. Since we're in this relationship with the Son of God, who was the perfect Lamb of God, and who has the expectation that we're going to leave our life of sinfulness in order to hold on to a life of righteousness, that we are ourselves aspiring to be a holy people separate from the rest of the world. Jesus is described as that holy one. You be holy as I am holy. That's God's call to us. So that, that makes sense, and I, I would not have expected any less, would you? But not only is he holy, this text says that he is the one who is true. And again, that rings a bell with me, as it probably does you. Jesus described himself that way in John chapter 14 and verse 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I know that I'm only going to get to God, to live with God forever and ever in heaven, simply because he is the very expression of the truth that makes that possible. So I, I get the first two things that are said about Jesus. He is holy and he is true. But then he throws in this sidewinder that is just kind of like, wait, what? He says that he has the key of David. That seems strange a little bit. What, David had some kind of special key? The, the Lord has that now? What in the world would that be? Actually, it goes back to another reference. That's from Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22. In that text, you have a little bit extra information that I think helps us with this key of David. Actually, in that text, he says that he had the key of the house of David, and that he was going to put it on his shoulder. Okay, let's break that down a little bit. To Isaiah and those who would have heard what is now, in effect, the prophecy that's fulfilled here in Revelation chapter 3, exactly what was he talking about in that context? Well, the whole idea of having the key of the house of someone is the potential that with that key you unlock the door. In fact, he says the key was going to be placed on the shoulder, and typically that key on the shoulder did, well, did several things. One, it might actually be the key, the literal actual key to the lock 
that unlocks the front door, the front gate. Could be that. Sometimes it was just a representative key. It really didn't work, but it was like an insignia, I guess. And it represented authority. So the person who wore this had vested in them the authority either to allow you in to see the king or the master, whoever is the ruler of this particular residence, or to shut the door so that you can't come in. Okay, so now let's bring this to Jesus. So we've got him holy and true. That, that, that's not surprising to us, but that he has himself the key of the house of David in the sense that Jesus has the means by which we can either enter into that kingdom or we can be locked out of it. I love how Jesus talked to his disciples when he was talking about the establishment of the church. Of course, Philadelphia represented that in its, in its wholeness, probably at its best. But Jesus told Peter in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, and I give you, Peter, in this case it's Peter, in chapter 18, verse 18, actually the language there expresses it to all of the other apostles as well. But here in Matthew 16, it's directly to Peter. And he says, I give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, just go a little bit deeper into this particular text and get the full expression of it. Jesus is saying, according to the Greek breakdown, whatever you bind on earth literally shall have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, Peter, I'm giving you the keys to unlock the kingdom, to open the door. What you do as an apostle from that time from which you have been vested with the authority to open those doors until such time as you are dead, as long as you have the ability and the opportunity to open those doors, you will do so not at your own convenience, not on the basis of your own interpretations or what you think is best, but on the very basis of what has been established in heaven itself. Jesus is the one ultimately who holds the key, if you will, to the house of David. Whatever it is that he has required of us in terms of our entrance into that kingdom is the very thing that is going to either allow us in or if we don't accept it, we don't follow it, without exception, is going to keep us out. Why in the world were they given that key? Because Jesus says, unlike anybody else, I, I'm the holy one. I'm the true one. I'm the one that God has chosen to effectively put that key on his shoulder. I'm the one who has the right and the authority. Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This text says that on the basis of that, and so said Isaiah 22, 22 as well, that he opens the door 
and no one can shut it. He shuts the door and no one can open it. I was thinking about the power of the gospel in terms of those doors that are opened. Second Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. It is only the gospel message that gives access to the kingdom of God. It is only the gospel and its disobedience and refusal of the gospel that will shut one out of the mercies and the grace of God. The gospel message is itself the very key through Jesus' sacrifice and his blood having been shed to make possible our entrance thereunto. So let's back up a minute. Here's what I said to begin with, kind of the heading of this section, that it is love that strengthens faith. What I mean by that is the love of Christ. That love, that sacrificial love that he had for us, that trumps or transcends any sense of brotherly love, that agape love that was selfless, that was extended even when we were sinners, that love is a love that strengthens faith to the degree that when he opens that door, then we will have the strength of faith to walk through it in obedience to the gospel. It's kind of a reflection, I think, of our text for this year, right? Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Without Jesus, that door would not even be open for our access. But let's take it a step further. Because not only does love strengthen faith, but faith opens doors. Now, wait a minute, Ken. <laughs> Stop right there for a second. Wait a minute, Ken. You just got finished telling us, didn't you? That it's Jesus who opened that door, okay? So why, why would you come along and then say that faith opens these doors? Well, what I'm trying to communicate here, not that Jesus doesn't open the door. He does. Without him, the, doors, the door doesn't open. In fact, he describes himself as the door. So there you go. But what I'm saying is, if, if I will take the, the initiative through obedience, through, through the strength of faith, if, if I will obey that gospel and I will have the initiative to walk through that door, then that, that very faith there that initiated my relationship with the Lord and made access to the kingdom of God possible, it will be that very same faith that keeps that door open. That's what I'm talking about. And here's what he says. He says, see, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. See that, he says. It's kind of the idea, well, you went through the door. And he's like, see, see right there. I opened that door and nobody could shut it. You know, that whole idea of an open door 
is sprinkled all through, especially, especially, sprinkled all through the New Testament scriptures. But I wanted to look at just one of those because I think it has a beautiful story that impacts all of us, by the way. I want to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. It's Paul recounting an event that had happened to him. In fact, it's, it's really that pivotal, one of the pivotal events in his life. I, I guess there were several. But this was one of the major, major points of his life. So he says, you know, I went to Troas, and that was great being there, but he said, while I was there, the Lord opened this door for me. And he said, I was going to wait for Titus, but Titus wasn't there, and so I just went on through the door. You know, I went, he says, to Macedonia. Now that is connecting with the Macedonian call. You'll read about that in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. So let me give you a few more details about that. Yeah, Paul had gone to Troas, but here's what Paul had in his own mind, right? I'm a minister to the Gentiles. I'm to carry the gospel throughout the whole world. Hey, it seems to me like it would be a great idea to go to Asia. Going to go to Asia. Okay, here's what I think about that. If, in fact, the Lord had wanted Paul to go to Asia, which he wanted the gospel spread to the whole world, yes. So it seems reasonable. Let's go to Asia then. If Paul had gone to Asia, I have no doubt about it that you and I still, we would have had the benefit to hear the gospel because Colossians 1 verse 23 says, ultimately, the gospel went to the whole world. But that is not what God wanted Paul to do at this moment. No, Paul intervened in the plans of the apostle Paul. Stop, we, we back up, we say, Paul, was that a good idea to go to Asia? Yeah, sure, that's great, fine. It's part of the world, isn't it? Those people need their souls saved too, yes. But no, God intervenes. You're not going to Asia, you're going to Macedonia. We, we even call that special, right? The Macedonian call, probably in your scripture, if you turn to that, one of the headings in the text probably says, Paul's Macedonian call. You know where Macedonia was? Macedonia was effectively Europe. It was Paul's entrance into the European spread of the gospel. Now, most of us, not all of us, I'm sure, but most of us, have European ancestry. You know, when I read through that, I oh, every time I read through Acts chapter 16, or I'm reminded of it there in 2 Corinthians 2, I always stop and I just, do you ever do this when you're reading scripture, just stop and pray about something? When I read about the Macedonian call, I stop and I thank God that he had Paul go to Macedonia. Now, that is not a heartless statement regarding anybody else in the world because I'm convinced that the gospel went, no doubt about it. But Paul went to Macedonia. God knew that it's going to be important for it to start here before it goes anywhere else. I couldn't be more happy that God chose to send the gospel there. But here's the thing about that. Paul didn't originally think that's what I should do. God said that's what you should do. God called him to go into Macedonia.
What was so great about this church in Philadelphia? What was the thing about them that we could say they walked through the door and now they're remaining faithful? What is it about them that kept them from getting off track as so many of these other churches, in fact, as all these other churches had done? What had stopped that from happening? Well, he actually tells us. He says the reason that the door is still open for you is, well, it's threefold. Number one, you have a little strength. Number two, you have kept my word. And number three, you have not denied my name. You know, honestly, those are some big ones. And in fact, I'm going to say that one or more of those three is usually the demise of any church. The first, he said, you have a little strength. He does not say you have maximized your strength. You're as strong as you will ever be. You're there, brother. You're good. No, he doesn't. He says, you have a little strength. You still have a lot of potential. But here's what I know about you. You do have strength and you are using it. And so I, I think that's a high compliment. It's not the Lord saying, boy, I'm so disappointed in you that you're not stronger than you are now. No, it's like you guys have all this potential. And let me just identify it. You, you have this strength about you. It's a little strength in my estimation, but you have it. And, you know, so many churches become weakened by the influence of the world around them. None of the other churches could hardly be described this way. Oh, you're so strong, you're doing great. In fact, the very next church that we see, the church in Laodicea, they had the delusion that they were strong and that they were something. No, the Lord says, you, you haven't arrived, Philadelphia, but man alive, you do have some strength. And, and I see it. And that's why this door is still open for you. And then he said that they had kept his word. Well, there's another downfall for so many. In fact, you kind of get the idea that having said this was said in contrast to something else that was happening in that city. He identified, as he had identified earlier, that within that city, there's the synagogue of Satan. He said they say they're Jews, but they're not. The reason they're, they're not what they say they are, they're the synagogue of Satan, a place where in synagogue, uh, wherein Satan could become refueled and, and find his place of power. The reason is because they had not respected God. And either that's because they weren't telling the truth outright or because they had corrupted some, some form or, or action in worship. Whatever the case was, they stood opposed to the things of God. But for the church, he said, boy, one of the things I noticed about you, you're, you're faithful to the word. You've kept it. And then another thing that oftentimes was a problem for those churches, especially as a lot of oppression was coming from the government and, and other places, was that he says, you haven't denied my name. Many when confronted with a testimony of their faith. Many, when, when put to, to the challenge of whether they live or they die based upon their belief that Jesus is the Son of God, so many of them would cower in fear, but not this church. This church had not, to the person, had not denied His name. 
And so he says, on the basis of those things, not only is this door wide open for you here in Philadelphia, but also, I'm going to tell you, there are going to be some perks that come along for you. Number one, those who are in opposition to you, that synagogue of Satan, I'm going to take them, I'm going to defeat them, and then they are going to worship at your feet. And they are going to know that I, and I, I, I just, the wording here is so beautiful given this context. He says, they are going to know that I love you. And then second, he says, I'm just going to give you a heads up that there are going to be some severe trials that come along. A lot of people are going to suffer, even your own brethren in other places. But he said, because because you've been faithful, because you have persevered, that's the word he uses, because you have persevered, I'm going to protect you through that. You're not going to fall into those trials as others do. Man, that's exactly what Jesus promised to those who, when they walk through that open door, have such faith that not only only have they obeyed the gospel and are right with the Lord, but that they are sharing the gospel. Remember what Jesus said? When, When he sent those apostles to go and to preach the gospel to every creature, He said in Matthew chapter 28 at verse 20, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So be it. Listen, I'm going to send you out into the world to preach the gospel to every creature. You're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And I'm going to continue to go with you. I'm with you even to the end of the age, to the, to the length and breadth and height and depth of the earth. I am with you. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, that same kind of promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not fear what can man do to me. You think the Philippian brethren couldn't quote that passage? I have no fear. I've been faithful to the Lord. I've been one of those who stood with him. I didn't deny his name. Despite everything that I see around me, I have, and this is very important, I have held on. That's what Jesus tells them to do. Hold on. And then this, behold, I am coming quickly. Have you ever felt that way before? If someone told you to hold on to this for two hours, you're like, oh, no. no." I just think about how long that's going to be, and I'm already starting to get tired. But if he says, now, you hold on to this because I'll be here very quickly, then you hold on to you think he'll be here any second. He'll be here any second. To the church, he said, you just hold on to what you have. What do we have? It's all that faithfulness we describe. Not willing to give up. Despite what they saw around about them, they were going to persevere. Okay. A lot of that I read over and I think, I think to myself as I, as I prepare lessons, I say, you know, I, I think that if I just, if I lay this out as it is, people will get that. 
people will get what the Scripture is trying to teach. Oh, we prayed about that a moment ago. But listen, I want us to, I want us to fully appreciate this whole idea of what it is just to, just to hang on. Now, in this church right here, I mean, that's what we want to be, right? That faithful family of God, just as the church in Philadelphia was. We want to love the brethren. You know, if we would just take the meaning of those words. I want to be that church in which the brethren are loved and they feel loved. Well, within this church, within this body of believers, there are so many differences. I mean, we all think differently. We act differently. We work in different fields. We, we have different neighborhoods that we live in, but we all come together as one in the body of Jesus Christ, led by one head. That is the one who is holy and true and has that key of the house of David. He's unlocked it as each one of us has obeyed the gospel. And we've walked through that door. And if we could just imagine, I know it was a singular moment for each of us. If we could just take that, that one singular moment, imagine all of us just walking through that door together. And now all the possibilities, because if we will be faithful, God has promised to give us success. We're going to have success. So, we walk through that door, every single one of us, so different, different resources, different abilities, different levels of maturity, but all of us to combined together for the glory of God through the work of this church right here in Boonville. He says, what you have right now, what you have right there, hold on to that. In the sense that wherever it is that you have come to at this point, don't slip backward. Hang on to what you've got. Just hold on to that. Hold on. Okay, so we're going to hold on. And we're going to be reminded, as he said to them, so he said to so many of those other churches, to ill effect. But he said, I know your works. In other words, this church, although it's, you know, had a little strength, he knew about it. And though, though they were holding to the word, he said, compared to everybody else, you, you are faithful in that. And, you know, you're not turning your back on me. You, you confess my name. If that is us, we're holding them. We're not turned back by the things around us. We are holding on to what we've got. And we know that he knows exactly what we're doing. So however great or however small, it's important to him. He has identified it. He knows it. He knows what little old me is doing in his kingdom, then whether you are a new Christian, you know, you've not been at this very long, or whether you've been a Christian for a long time. Let me speak to those who've been a Christian for a long time. You know, maybe if you were to really stop and examine, maybe there are those points in your life when, boy, you were really nailing it, you know, just really vibrant for the Lord. I went to a lectureship one time. This guy was handing out uh, one of those business cards. You know, the business card was not information like his address and so forth. He, he said on there that he had preached for 50 years and that there was this list of all these accomplishments through his life. He was currently retired. The idea was, I'm retired. Here's what I've done. I'm no judge of anybody, but I'm pretty sure that the only thing that matters is where I am right now, this moment. 
So if I'm examining myself, I, I shouldn't be examining the accumulation of, of all. Where am I now? What have I grown into? Maybe I had a growth spurt at some time in my spiritual life, but I have declined since then. Maybe it is spiritually I have contracted a terminal disease to my spirituality. There are lots of people who were fabulous Christians who turned their back on the Lord. They were even, well, without speaking, noted in this very text. He says, you in particular, you have confessed my name. You haven't denied me. But there were so many others that had. They had been faithful for a time. The book of Hebrews is written to a people who were faithful for a time, but had now turned their back or just become lax in their relationship to the Lord. Where am I right now? Whether I'm a brand new Christian or I've been a Christian for a while. When you examine yourself, what do you say? Where am I? For the new Christian, you may say, well, I haven't accomplished very much. You know, I've not been at... Here's what Satan will say to you. Satan will say, well, you know, you're useless. You're no good. What in the world? You made a mistake. You shouldn't be doing... The Lord's not pleased with you. And just on and on and on with the negative comments. Forget that. Satan wants to undermine you. What you do is you remember, I walked through that door that Jesus opened with his key. He's the one through my obedience to the gospel that allowed me to come into this kingdom and there isn't anything that is going to stop me from success. If you're a child of God and you've been at this a while, but you see that there's been a major decline to the extent that maybe you're not even really doing anything. Satan's, he's on your back too. I'm pretty sure of that. Don't listen to him either. Because again... If the Lord opened that door, let's keep it open, okay? The very one that opened the door can shut the door just as easily. If I'm out of sorts with the Lord, I need to make that right so that my journey can be reinitiated so that I can pick up where I left off and be effective for the kingdom of God. That door is wide open and Jesus died to make that possible. Why would I ever, ever fail to serve him to the fullest of my ability. Whether I'm a new Christian or whether I've been at this a while, the moment is now for me to reassert my faithfulness to the Lord and to hold on because it won't be much longer. In response to all of that, if we would remain faithful, I believe the same thing would be true as was going to be true for that church in Philadelphia. Jesus actually promised two things. He said, I'm going to give you a, or make you a monumental pillar in the house of God, in the temple of God. A monumental pillar doesn't mean it's huge as in monumentally huge. It means it's a monument to something. Okay, so here is what is going to, secondly, here is what is going to be inscribed on this pillar of monument for you. Number one will be the name of your God. You know, the one in whose service I enlisted, the one who I said, I I'm going to serve you. I I'm yours. That will be attributed to you. Number two, he says, I'm going to put the name of the city. Well, the new 
heavens, the new earth descended from heaven, uh, descended the church, the kingdom of God. That would be the nation, the kingdom that we serve. And then number three, he says, I'm going to inscribe the new name of the Savior. That is the king that we served. See, here's the thing. The whole sense of the pillar is the sense of what has happened. That is looking back on a life that has been fulfilled, on service that has been completed. All of those things, he says, will be yours if you'll just hold on. Is there an open door in front of you? Question is, are you going to walk through it? Jesus opens the door through means of the gospel so that you can be saved. Maybe you walk through that door. Door still open? See, slammed it shut for inactivity. If you're not a child of God, today's the day to take the initiative to secure your future with the Lord to walk through that door and never look back. If you're a child of God already and if you squandered some time, today's the day to reassert your commitment to once again lay hold of the things God's put in your hands and to make some good use of it to His glory. If there's anybody who needs to respond today for any reason at all, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come forward if you need to while we stand together and sing.
sing Man of Sorrows and prepare our hearts and minds to take the Lord's Supper.
If you're in need of the Lord's Supper emblems, if you'll please raise your hand. Usher will bring you one at this time. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1, we read, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. As we protect the Lord's Supper, I pray that we would set our minds and our eyes on Jesus. Would you please bow with me. Father, we're so thankful for all the blessings you've given us. We're so thankful for this ability, this opportunity to worship you this morning. At this time, Father, as we remember the cross and this loaf which represents that body, Father, we are so thankful and we pray that we will do so in a way that we will please in your sight. In Christ's name. Let's pray. Father, as we continue this remembrance, we are so thankful for that precious blood that was shed on that cross. Father, we pray that you would forgive us where we fail you. We pray that we'd always remember our forgiveness is only because of that blood. In Christ's name we do, and we pray. Amen. When I have the opportunity to give, if you would please bow with me. Father, we are so very thankful again for all the things you've done for us, all the blessings, our abilities to, to make a living. We pray that realizing all of the good things come from you, everything we have is yours already, Father. We pray as we give back, we'll do so with a cheerful heart. In Christ's name we do only pray. Amen. As Brother Aaron comes to uh, uh, give us our announcements, real quick, I just want to say thank you. So, so very thankful for last Sunday, our Northeast night. It was such a success. I'm not even going to attempt to start naming names because there was just too many of you, and I will miss someone. But I just wanted to say thank you for all those who set up, all those who cooked. We had, had plenty of food. We had food left over, and we fed a lot of folks. So from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you. The Hills Chapel meeting will be this week with Brother Chad Bowen doing the preaching. We plan to take a uh, bus there tomorrow night. We'll be leaving the annex at 6.30. Uh, if you'd like to go and have a green Church of Christ logo shirt, we'd ask that you wear one. Real quick, I just have a couple of announcements. First off is... Uh, there's area-wide youth devotional tonight in Ripley. Uh, for the teens, we'll be leaving the TAC at 415. Second off, uh, Kiri Parsons asked me to announce that there is a girls' Bible class or Bible study uh, on Wednesday night apart from our regular Bible class. 
and they actually meet at 5:45 on Wednesday nights, and it's in uh, in the fifth grade classroom. That's where they meet. So if you are a teenage girl, they would love for you to join them at 5:45 on Wednesdays, and for that uh, girls' class, they are doing a studying a book called Women in Combat Against Sin and Satan. Yeah, as we close, as we close this morning, uh, if you're a visitor with us, we, we, we cannot use enough words to tell you how glad we are you, you to have chosen to be with us this morning. Um, and if, give us some time. I hope those around you have already showed the love of Christ and introduced themselves to you. But give us some time to do that this morning. If you don't mind, after we close here in just a second, we'd love to get to know you more and further. We had 265, according to the numbers handed to me this morning. Um, several announcements have already been made. I just want to make a couple more because of that number. There's, there's quite a few probably watching online. Uh, Brother Ken's already talked about the two bag ministries, the Panama Mission Operation and then the Saving One Soul Ministry. I also want to just highlight that the Tuesday morning ladies class, according to the announcements here, should be starting this Tuesday. So I want to make sure you know that as well. We have a card I would like to read. It says, uh, straight from my heart, thank you all for the cards, calls, and visits you all gave my mother during her illness and for the beautiful flowers and great meal after her funeral. We love you all, the Chopper Taylor family. I noticed on the uh, sick list today that it's getting quite long. Um, seems like Miss Jimmy had to even lower the font a little bit to fit it all on one page. However, we do have some good news uh, that the Acock family just handed me. It says Barrett William Acock, who is on our list, um, the grandson to Anthony and Kathy, came home Friday and is doing great. So that's great news and glad, glad he handed me that so we could read that this morning. Uh, there's also so many other ways the Lord is working through our lives and, and just please Please take this list home and, and let's care and serve and, and uh, let's take care of these folks who need us. That's all the announcements I have this morning. If I missed anything, just let us know. We'll try to get it out to everybody. If you don't mind, let's stand as we close this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, as we close now our time together this morning. Of course, we thank you for, for everything that you do for us, and of course, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Father, based off the message that we heard, we thank you for the door that you have provided us, the door of salvation, and then, Father, just our prayer is that we'll take advantage of that door, and not only that, but we will also take advantage of the many other opportunities and doors you open because of the faith we have in you this week. We love you so much, and it's in Christ's name. Amen.